Welcome to the Birth Journeys Podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Hoff, BSNRN. I am a wife, a mother of two, and a nurse specializing in the care of women and newborns. In this podcast, we will share powerful journeys of birth givers with the goals of lifting the veil on the birth experience, healing through sharing, and beginning an open conversation to strengthen trust and promote transparency between birthing people and healthcare providers. Welcome to the Birth Journeys Podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Hoff, BSNRN. I am a wife, a mother of two, and a nurse specializing in the care of women and newborns. In this podcast, we will share powerful journeys of birth givers with the goals of lifting the veil on the birth experience, healing through sharing, and beginning an open conversation to strengthen trust and promote transparency between birthing people and healthcare providers. Hello. Today I have with me Mike Goldstein. Mike is currently a fourth-year medical student in the Uniformed Services University School of Medicine going into obstetrics. He is here today to talk about episiotomy. Mike, welcome. Thank you for joining me. No problem. Thanks for having me. As you said, I'm a Navy medical student at the Uniformed Services University. Just quick disclosures. Everything that I'm going to say is my own opinion and does not represent the opinion of the Department of Defense, the Uniformed Services University, or the Department of the Navy. However, everything that I do say is supported by ACOG, which is our governing body for OBGYN. It's all based on data. None of this is my personal opinion. It's all data-driven. Basically, if you read the clinical practice guidelines from ACOG, that, you're going to get what I'm saying. There's some other sources too, but it's all, all data-driven. Yeah, I'm excited to hear what you have to say from a doctor's perspective. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Yeah. So for anybody who doesn't know an episiotomy, I think most people know what that term means. It's kind of like a pretty old school term. Basically, you have the vulva and then you have the anus and in between you have your perineum. And so an episiotomy is just an incision from the opening of the vagina down towards the anus through the perineum. And so the idea is that it kind of opens up that birth canal a little bit more, that the introitus a little bit more so that baby can fit through. So it used to be done a lot more in the 70s, something like 75% of deliveries involved with an episiotomy. And back the last time they did a real study on it was back in the early 2000s, and it was down to 25%. So they're done a lot less frequently now. Lots of research has shown that they don't prevent tears, they don't prevent damage to the pelvic floor, the connective tissue, those muscles. So that was the original thinking is that you can make some space let the baby come through easier. It would prevent second, third, fourth degree tears and would help preserve those pelvic floor muscles. And what we found is that they just, it doesn't. All it does is it just makes another incision and then it's something else to heal and everything down there is a little bit uncomfortable when it heals. So we try to avoid that. And there's two ways to do it. The old school way is kind of what, what's called a midline episiotomy. So it's just from directly straight line from the bottom of the vagina down to the anus. And actually what is found is that doing that makes it more likely that you're going to tear something. You're more likely to get into those muscles. So the new the new school way of doing a, an episiotomy is to do what's called a mediolateral episiotomy. So you kind of just go off to the side. So you're still going down, but away from the anus. We still don't do them super often, but if you have to do one, that's kind of the recommended way of doing it. Now we try to only do them in certain circumstances. And so one of those circumstances is during shoulder dystocia, there's a whole bunch of maneuvers you can do before you do an episiotomy. And most of the time those maneuvers work, it's like 95 to 96% of 
and shoulder dystocias are resolved with those maneuvers. But if you've tried them a few times and it's not quite working and you think just a little bit more room might help, you can do a, a mediolateral episiotomy and that can help relieve it. But most of the time, you don't need to do that. Another time would be during a forceps or a vacuum delivery. You don't always need to do an episiotomy during a forceps or a vacuum delivery, but sometimes you do. It is an indication where you might, might need a little bit more room to get the equipment in or to prevent damage or injury to the birth canal, the vagina. Those kind of deliveries are, can be a little bit traumatic. And then the last one would be if you just need to do kind of a rapid delivery. So if baby's crashing, baby has persistent bradycardia or the fetal heart tracing is just, this looks like crap. And we need to get baby out right now. You, that's another indication for it. So those are kind of the three reasons why you would do one. A shoulder dystocia that's not coming out with those other maneuvers. Baby's having a catastrophic heart rate that you need to deliver right now. Or you're going to do a forcep or a vacuum delivery. And you feel like you need a little bit more room. So pluses and minuses. When it's needed to be used, it, it can help make some more room. It, it does have plus in that area. The risks, I mean, there's not a ton of risks. So if you do a mid midline episiotomy, it does put you at a, at a risk of a fourth degree tear and an oasis injury, so an uh, anal sphincter injury. But that's why we do the mediolateral most of the time, which can reduce that risk. The recovery is not awesome. So you have an incision down in a really sensitive area. The skin is kind of thin down there. It's right where you're peeing and where you're pooping. And so anytime you're doing those those things, it can hurt for a little while. We use dissolvable stitches so you don't have to get your stitches removed if stitches are needed, but not super pleasant. And then there's anytime you make any kind of incision, there's always a possibility of an infection. But that's pretty, that's pretty rare. It's pretty uncommon. So those are really like the risks. Like I said, healing, just not great. So we really, we really try to avoid them. And ACOG, OBGYN, governing body, they recommend doing them only in those situations. And I very rarely have, in fact, I don't think I actually have seen anybody do one yet because they're they're just not done very commonly. Yeah, I don't I definitely don't see them done routinely. Do you see them done like you said for vacuum? I'm seeing them done less. They used to be pretty routine with the vacuum at least where I've been working and that's over the last 7 years. I am seeing them done less. I do see them most of the time when there's a forceps delivery. There's times when I can look and see it looks like it's going to be a really tight fit. And when, like you said, combined with the fetal heart rate not being great, we do usually talk about it beforehand. So as far as repair goes, so episiotomy versus a tear, I've heard arguments, and I'm not sure how current this argument is at this point, and this was in the past that it was easier to repair an episiotomy? Uh, right. And then how is the healing compared to a tear? Right. So the, the idea is that if you do an intentional incision, that it'll be controlled. Whereas when you have a tear, it's, it's an uncontrolled ripping of the tissue. And some of them, especially the, the higher degree tears, I mean, they, they're a mess. And obviously, the higher degree it is, the harder it is to repair, the more of a risk there is of fecal incontinence and other issues like that. And so the idea is that if you do an, an intentional incision, that it's a controlled situation, it'll be easy to repair, you'll prevent those things. But like I said, we know now that it doesn't really prevent those things. An episiotomy is definitely easier to repair. First degree tear is, is pretty easy to repair. It's just a very superficial thing. You just throw a couple of stitches in if you even need any stitches. 
and then it's repaired. Second degree is a little bit more challenging. There's a kind of a specific technique you have to do. And then as you go third, fourth degree tears, it's more challenging to repair. An episiotomy is probably somewhere between like a first and a second degree, as long as it doesn't turn into a more complicated tear. It's really just an incision and it's, it's pretty straightforward to close. So at the hospitals I work at, they have a general consent that includes an operative vaginal delivery. Whenever I'm consenting a patient, though, I usually say if something is going to happen that is outside of the plan that we've previously discussed, not necessarily the plan that's on the consent, but just what we have discussed as the individualized plan for that particular patient, given medical history and all of the things going on with that pregnancy and the baby, if anything starts to deviate from that plan, I always tell them that we are going to have a conversation and involve them in the choices that the consent is just for if there's an emergency and we need to act quickly and we don't discuss the changes in the plan, then we would do those procedures that are in the consent form without necessarily talking about it first. But it's very important to go back and inform the patient about what we have done in the procedure of the delivery. Most of the time, providers that I work with will have a conversation with the patient while things are going on and say, I recommend based on the fetal heart rate or based on the position of the baby or whatever's going on, we need to do an episiotomy. I had an episiotomy with my first and didn't know about it until one of the nurses I worked with on postpartum read my chart. Who She was the nurse taking care of me. She read my chart and she's commented on how traumatic my delivery was and told me what had happened. I didn't know I had an episiotomy. The provider said that she was making room for the baby. I don't hear that very often. I don't think I've ever heard it in my practice. But while I agree with the decision to do an episiotomy in both of my deliveries, the first one, I was not informed. So can you talk about best practices regarding when you're doing an episiotomy and how to go through that kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, it really, it comes down to informed consent and just real discussions and keeping the patient informed. When I first started rotations a couple of years ago, the first time I saw an informed consent done, I was like, holy crap, it was on general surgery and it was for like a very routine surgery, but you know, there's a risk of this and that and this and that. And I was like, oh my God, who is going to say yes to a surgery when you're telling them that all of these things could happen? And then as I kind of progressed, I was like, oh, really, they, they need to know everything that could possibly happen. And that goes all the way from you're going to bleed during surgery because anytime I make an incision, you're going to bleed. But this is how I'm going to control it to could die because of anesthesia or you could die because I could hit your aorta on the way in or your vena cava or something. And the, obviously the risks of an episiotomy are a lot lower than that. But you need to inform the patient of literally everything that is likely to happen or even unlikely to happen because obviously with most surgeries, death is a pretty rare occurrence. But you still need to tell them about it because you don't want somebody to say, oh, well, you never told me that because somebody, when they agree to something, they should know everything they're getting into. And I think that an episiotomy is one of those things as well. And so anytime I've talked about consent or, or seen consent given, especially on the labor and delivery deck, it's been very, very extensive. And we've talked about all of the delivery options, C-section, operative delivery, episiotomy. We have to use forceps. 
if we have to use a vacuum, this is what we're going to do. If necessary, we might have to make a little incision called an episiotomy. If we do, we'll let you know this is what it would look like if we did that. And like I said, I, I have not seen anybody even do an episiotomy, but I have seen operative deliveries and basically everything but an episiotomy. And there's always, hey, this is what I think we should do. This is what's going on. Are you okay with that? Sometimes they say no. And you're like, well, I really recommend that we do this because it could have, you know, you can't assault somebody. You can't force somebody to do something. So you really have to say, just, I strongly recommend we do this. And then in the process of it, if somebody needed a episiotomy, you, we would just say, hey, I think we need a little bit more room. I'm going to make a small incision that we're going to repair and we'll, we'll talk about it afterwards. And I'll, I'll let you know what we talked about. We'll go over it again. And then anytime we've done anything, we've come back after the fact and said, hey, now that you've you had a couple of hours to relax, because in the middle of delivery, anything you tell them, you know, they're not going to remember it for good reason. <laughs> So you always come back later and, and say, hey, this is what happened. This is how the delivery went. This is why we did this. This is what the next few days, weeks, months are going to be like. And this is what you need to do, if anything, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I think really just best practices, erring on the side of full disclosure and just honesty and saying, this is why we did that. And this is why I thought it was the best course of action. And could things have been fine without it? Maybe, but I thought the benefits outweighed the risks and yada, 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 yada work completely away from paternalistic medicine where we don't just do things to patients anymore without them knowing or we don't just say hey we're going to do this to you because we know better than you we're taking you to a c-section or we're taking you to to do this or we're doing this to you we don't do that anymore and i'm sure there are some kind of older physicians that are still like that because they grew up in that in that kind of environment and even maybe some younger physicians who have trained under those physicians and that's the culture that they grew up in but i i have not seen that in, in all of the hospitals that I've been in. It's been very much patient-centered. These are my recommendations. You're the one in charge of your care. These are my recommendations. It's, your, it's ultimately your decision. Obviously, there are some exceptions to that, implied consent and things like that. If somebody comes in, they're unconscious. And, but outside of that, I mean, we don't just tell people what to do anymore yeah. for, for good reason. I think the last thing that I wanted to ask you about is birth plans. We should, we should <laughs> honestly do an entire like mini, mini episode about birth plans. I could talk for a while about them. I see a lot of, I do not want an episiotomy on my birth plan. I, I think, yeah, I think I would say the recommendation is to not do one unless it's absolutely necessary. And I think the way that I would say well, you probably have that you don't want a blood transfusion and you don't want to see hist and you don't want, want a lot of things on your birth plan and those things are very unlikely to happen and we don't want to do them either but if we have to to get baby out and help you and baby stay alive then those are the things we're going to recommend doing but we're going to try not to do those things and i would say an episiotomy is pretty unlikely to happen really only a few circumstances where they're recommended and if those situations come up we'll talk about it and say hey i think we need to do this the conversation might be a little bit more abridged if it's because your baby's heart rate is 50 <laughs> then then if the circumstances but we're going to try to avoid it and i know you don't want it but like plans they're they should be viewed as a guide to what your ideal birth is but you need to be aware that other things could happen and most of the time when people a lot of time when people come in with their birth plans it's things that we want to do anyway like you can say i don't want an episiotomy we don't want to do an episiotomy either so we don't have a knife in our pocket. Like whose perineum can I slice today? It doesn't work that way. We don't want to do one either. So 
I'm happy to try to avoid one as best as I can. But if baby's heart rate is is scaring me and I think that baby needs to come out right this second and I think that if if I get baby out, it's going to cause an oasis injury and you might have fecal incontinence for the rest of your life. But I think maybe in a little an episiotomy might be able to prevent that. I'm going to tell you, hey, look, we need to do this because it's going to get baby out without ripping your entire perineum in half. Agreed. I think I'd love to shift away from birth plan and just change the title to birth preferences. And then maybe we could come a little bit closer together in that conversation. But yeah, I really think that a lot of people need to know that we're not out there trying to do these interventions. We don't like to. We'd love for you to come in and labor, just have your baby and go home. That's fine. Yes. That would be great. But the noise happened that way. Yeah, it's the, you know, the do our C-sections fun? Yes, they're fun. But, you know, and, and <laughs> I don't think they're fun. <laughs> I think they're I, I, we, we like them. The I mean, doing all the cool. Things. We're the one that's doing the cool stuff. So, yes, they're they're cool. I, I enjoy them like a lunatic. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. You're the you're running around with like a chicken with your head cut off. We're just yeah. at the table doing the, you know, doing the exactly. case. But that doesn't mean I'm itching to do them. I, mm-hmm. I would prefer it if everybody came in checked in, went into their room, quietly labored, and then said, hey, I feel the urge to push. And then I went in there, they pushed three times and a baby came out. That so that would great. be amazing. I would love that if everybody no did that. That's no the ideal, but it doesn't always happen. So yeah. Awesome. Well, Mike, thank you. I'm going to let you go because I know you got places to be, but I really appreciate this enlightened conversation about episiotomy and consent. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. To help more moms find this podcast, please be sure to subscribe and leave a review to tell me what you think. To find more information about guests from each episode, please see the show notes at birthjourneyspodcast.buzzsprout.com. There you can also learn how to follow me on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you for listening. I'm honored to be a part of your birth journey. Thank you so much for tuning into my podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, make sure you hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out on future episodes. Don't forget to share the podcast with a friend who can benefit from the valuable insights that we share here. And if you could take a moment to leave a five-star rating and review, it would mean the world to me. If you're ready to work one-on-one with me to embark on a transformational journey towards a confident and empowered hospital birth experience, go to kellyhoff.com backslash empowered and enroll in my Empowered Hospital Birth Coaching Program. Together, we'll create a roadmap to a birth experience that you'll cherish forever. That's K-E-L-L-Y-H-O-F dot com backslash empowered. Let's make your birth experience extraordinary.